0: that ended up with significant changes of several of the safe limits in both directions. On the one side, you have, for instance, sulfur dioxide, SO2, which they concluded that it's actually less critical than assumed before, but on the other side, for several other pollutants, the changes have been in quite the opposite direction.
1: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Clean Air, our regular look at how clean air can affect the quality process for you and the workplace. On this episode, we're finding out about the new World Health Organization revised air quality guidelines and how they could impact your building or facility. My name is Dusty Rhodes and joining me to explain this is Tobias Zimmer, who is deeply involved in the development of international standards and acts as Vice President of Global Product Management and International Standards at Campville. Um Tobias, can you tell me firstly about the role that you play in setting the international guidelines?
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, deeply involved in various uh, standard committees that tackle air filtration, but also applications where air filtration is used. So I'm a member of the ISO TC142, which is covering the ISO standards for all filtration applications. And I'm also involved in European standards for general ventilation, so the SEN TC156. And in addition to that, I'm active in several Mainly European associations, that take care about additional guidelines. For instance, we have the Eurovent, so the biggest uh, association of uh, vent- the ventilation industry, as well as the AVR European Ventilation Industry Association, and last but not least, the RIVA, which is the association of engineers in Europe.
1: Can I ask how these standards are formulated? What do you take into consideration
0: when you're when you're setting the standards and the levels? <laughs> Oh, that uh, really depends on the different standard and the application. If we're really looking about the application standards, mm. for instance, uh, in terms of ventilation, then, of course, what are the protective goals? What do we want to protect by that standard by filtration? What is the outdoor air quality? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but also what is the requirements of these different places? So, for instance, obviously, the requirements in a hospital are quite different than in an underground car park. Yeah?
1: Is there a lot of toing and froing? And you know anything when, you, when you're doing anything by committee, there's a, there's a lot of discussion. Would it be the same when, you, when you're uh, discussing these international standards and, and what levels to arrive at?
0: Not that much, because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a broad public involved. There's the, not only the industry, then you would end up in this discussion. We also have a lot of universities and researchers involved in that. So it's very much fact-based, and it's very technical com- people in that committees. So, Zuli really talking about facts, about scientific base, and bringing that to a technical, logical, and right dimension solution.
1: Why are they rolling in in particular with guidelines for air quality?
0: Yeah, because uh, air quality is a concern, and uh, there is more and more evidence. But the risk that we are um, exposed to by air pollution is much bigger than we assumed for the last decades. Mm -hmm. On the one side, the pollution levels in big parts of the world are actually going down, which is fantastic. But at the same time, we see that even those levels are a serious hazard to health. And WHO just concluded when they published their new guidelines that air pollution is the single most critical hazard to health. So it is more critical than unhealthy diet and smoking, if you look at the total effect on the world population. Do you know why they have come to that opinion? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very scientific-based, in that mm-hmm. case, even, even more than in a standard committee, because mm-hmm. it's really they just listen to scientists. So it's groups of scientists sitting together and reviewing the research results of the last years. And there is more and more evidence that, at least for some of the pollutants, the hazard to health, even at much lower levels, is still very high, much higher than assumed in the past.
1: Now, when the WHO says these things, uh, does everybody sit up and listen?
0: Yeah, basically, a lot of people listen to WHO because they really, they strictly stick to it. It is fact-based. It is science-based. It's not politics.
1: So listen, let's uh, talk about the uh, World Health Organization. They did have guidelines in place, and they've had guidelines in place, I think, since, since the 80s. There was guidelines before COVID. They've changed now. What is the difference?
0: Yeah, let's, let's talk about these air quality guidelines, as you rightly said. Mm. The first edition was in 1987. So they regularly, or periodically to be more correct, update their guidelines. To really, The objective is to assist governments and the civil society to reduce the human exposure to air pollution and its mm. adverse effects. So these guidelines are really science-based, as I said before. It's really no politics in that. It's scientists sitting together, discussing, reviewing the latest results. And that is given as a guideline to the society. They are not in themselves a mandatory standard. They are a pure guidance. But as I said, as they are fact-based science-based and not Mm. in any way a political document Mm -hmm. they have uh, a very good reputation and they are highly respected by standard committees by many governments so that's why these WHO air quality guidelines are quoted in several international standards so that's in doubt the place to go if there is any reference what is the right level WHO guidelines and that's the same to many national legislations. They refer to the WHO guidelines because that's those are the hard facts.
1: So even though that they're guidelines, they kind of become the de facto standard, really?
0: Yeah, the most reliable okay. source for, if you look for any limits, what is the safe limit for a specific pollutant? Then this is the most reliable source you will find.
1: Okay, now there has been changes to those guidelines from the WHO. What do you think is the headline change? What's what's the biggest thing we should know about?
0: Yeah, the biggest thing is uh, that there is a lot of changes to several of the safe limits. Why is that the case? It's quite simple. The last WHO air quality guideline is dated from 2005, so the new revision in September 2021, so just a few months ago, is 16 years later. And obviously, within 16 years, science has a lot of new findings. And all that is now has been debated, and it's all reported in that uh, guideline, which is a quite comprehensive document, so you can clearly see based on what facts are this decision taken. And that ended up with significant changes of several of the safe limits in both directions. On the one side, you have, for instance, sulfur dioxide, SO2, which they concluded that it's actually less critical than assumed before. So in that case, the safe limit went up uh, quite significantly. So a four times higher limit is acceptable. But on the other side, for several other pollutants, the changes have been in quite the opposite direction. So if we see uh, nitrogen dioxide, so NO2, a very extreme example, the safe limits have actually been cut to a quarter. So coming from 40 micrograms down to 10 micrograms per cubic meter is the safe limit. Huge change, and even more important, because it's very present everywhere on the globe, the safe limits for particulate matter have changed so particulate matter there is two values they look at so that's one is the pm 2.5 meaning particulate matter with the diameter below 2.5 micrometers and the second one is a more traditional an older value of the pm 10 so particulate matter below 10 micrometers both of these limits have been significantly reduced and in the case of pm 2.5 it has actually been cut by half so instead of assuming 10 micrometers in a cubic meter of air is still okay mm-hmm. they cut it down to 5 micrometers per cubic meter because there is evidence that even smaller concentrations are a serious hazard to health and is it would be a risk in permanent exposure and as we are permanently exposed to the air this is obviously a real threat and it clearly shows that the smaller the particles are the bigger the risk to health is. That was very clear on those guidelines. So that's why the PM2.5 values have been significantly more reduced than the PM10 limits. So does this standard cover the indoor environment? That's not Mm -hmm. that easy to answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The answer could be yes or no. Uh, Yes and no both. Uh, Because if you really look at what's stated in the uh, WHO, air quality guidelines, they state the guidelines are applicable to both outdoor and indoor environments globally. Thus, they cover all settings where people spend time. Reading that, you would say it definitely covers the indoor air as well. However, there it's not that easy because indoor air and outdoor air are different. Because the guidelines do not cover occupational settings, unlike in the outdoor air where the, there's a free exchange with the environment, whatever you create in particles, mm. so there's a lot of room around you. Mm. In an indoor space, the indoor air quality is affected by several other factors and parameters that need to be taken into consideration. So, different to the outdoor air, you have, for instance, how much air do you bring in with the ventilation system? How many people are in the room? And what is actually the activity level of these people? So 20 people sitting in an office create a different level of air pollution than 20 people being active in a gym or 20 people really working in a workshop. It's a totally different scenario and also machinery that's in the room. A printer or any other machine would have a significant impact on the indoor air quality. That means in a nutshell that Indoor space, in indoor spaces, you need additional guidelines to ensure that you have a sufficient supply air, which technically would mean air you bring out from the outside into the room, to really ensure that your indoor air, in the end, is in line with the WHO air quality guidelines. And that is where other regulations, like, for instance, the Eurovent 423, Come into the picture.
1: Well, tell me about Eurovent 423. Is that a focus standard for indoor specifically?
0: Yes, absolutely, it is. Um, and that's uh, also not a new standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first edition of the Eurovent 423 was published in 2018, it was made by the product group Air Filters in the Eurovent Association. And this guideline, very specifically, Deals with the selection of air filters according ISO 16890 for general ventilation applications, and the core concept of that guideline is that there is no such thing as a one fits all approach for all places in all areas of Europe, because obviously the requirements are different depending on your place, depending on the building type. Therefore, this Eurovent 423 basically provides a simple dimensioning tool, taking into account just two key parameters. The first parameter is the local outdoor air. Because it obviously makes a difference if the air that you intend to bring into your building is highly polluted or relatively clean. So in other words, if my building is located in the city of London or in central Paris, I obviously need to filter the outdoor air in a totally different way, as if my building would be somewhere out in the countryside. That's the first parameter. And the second one is what air quality do I actually need? So what's the output parameter in the outdoor air? And what's the actual requirement inside? Obviously, in a hospital, the air needs to be cleaner than in an underground car park or in the garbage room. I think that's quite logical. That can't be the same answer. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: then when d- looking at the Eurovent 423 standards, have they changed then in line with the uh, World Health Organization guidelines?
0: Absolutely, because uh, the outdoor air in the 423 directly refers to the WHO guidelines. And if now the WHO guidelines, and the safe limits change, obviously that affects directly. This guideline, Eurovent four twenty three, and for that reason, there has been a very recent update of that guidelines that have been published in January twenty twenty two, and the main change is adoption to the new WHO air quality guidelines.
1: And what is the main change in there from your point of view?
0: Yeah, technically speaking, it's uh, this changes made are quite simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. But the impact of these changes is actually quite large. So let me explain it like this. The guideline defines three levels of outdoor air quality. The so-called ODA classes, outdoor air. So class one means the local levels of outdoor pollution, let's say PM 2.5 pollution, are below the WHO limits. So your outdoor air is relatively clean. ODA 2 means... The outdoor air in your place, the PM 2.5 levels, are up to 50% above guideline limits. So it's, how to phrase it, moderately polluted, if you like. (laughs) And ODA3, on the opposite, says your outdoor air pollution is more than 50% above the WHO limits. So the outdoor air is heavily polluted. And of course, that would require much better filtration. That's basically what it says. So that's the one side. You have the ODA. And then on the other side, you decide, okay, what supplier quality do I need? And that ranges in the same logic from supplier called SUP, one to five. One, for instance, being a hospital, very clean air. Two would be, for instance, a normal office. And the worst thing, sub five, would be the garbage room or the underground car park, which anyway, where you have a lot of exhaust, it will not be clean anyway on there. And that's the logic behind it. So as soon as the WHO changes the limits, of course, the limits for the ODA classes drop in the same way. Below WHO limits suddenly means for PM 2.5, only 50% of the concentration.
1: So when we're talking about the changes in limits, does, what does this mean for somebody who's responsible for a facility or a building or, or an office block? Do they need to change their entire system or are air filters able to handle the change in levels?
0: Air filters are absolutely able to, to handle that. But the overall effect is, uh, as I would say, it's something quite positive. Because following these new Eurovent guidelines with the new WHO limits... What actually leads to a better air quality in a majority of offices all over Europe? Because if we look at it in a very simple way, a normal urban area in Europe, in Western Europe, Eastern Europe is even a bit more polluted, Mm. but in Western Europe, a normal urban area would be, according to the old standard, would have been ODA 2, moderately polluted. Now, applying the new WHO guideline limits, the waste majority of all cities in Western Europe turn into ODA3, being heavily polluted because we are far above the safe limits, according WHO guidelines. And that would directly result in a higher requirements for filtration. So we take an office as an example, an office in an ODA2 environment. The recommendation from the standard was before taken System efficiency for filters of EPM one seventy percent, that means the system, so all filter air filters you have. So if you have two in a row, the accumulated efficiency of these two filters should be EPM one seventy at least. So taking out seventy percent of particulate matter smaller one micrometers, which would be roughly equivalent to eighty percent of PM two point five. Now, as the same building with the new classification is actually in ODA3, the same requirement would be your system needs to be at EPM1 80%. So taking out 80% PM1 or roughly 90% of the PM2.5. But still, this is absolutely doable with the filter. It just increases the filter efficiency. And you can basically install that in every existing ventilation system.
1: There's an awful lot of detail in this subject, and you've explained it extremely well. But if people really kind of want to get into the details, where can listeners find out more about this online?
0: Um, the whole WHO quality guidelines can be downloaded uh, free of charge from the um, WHO website. Okay. It's available actually in two editions. The full edition, which is a few hundred pages documents, or even an executive summary, which is just a few pages. And uh, for the technical details and for how to select the right filter classes based on these limits... The document, the 4.23 from Eurovent, can be downloaded also free of charge from the Eurovent Association website.
1: Excellent. And what we'll do is we'll include the exact links to the directly to the documents in the show notes. So if you're listening on your smartphone right now, just look in the show description and the links are there ready and waiting for you and you can check them out. Uh, Tobias, just before we head off for today, can I ask you kind of over the last two years, what's the biggest challenge that you have faced with covid
0: the biggest challenge was actually educating the the public, but also many of the governments and institutions, because mm-hmm. it took awfully long, to be honest, until people understood that COVID is an airborne problem to a big degree. And many of these things we could have tackled better if we had listened earlier to what science told us even before, yeah? <laughs> So listen to scientists more is the lesson of the day, yes? In many cases, it helps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Listen, Tobias, as always, thank you very, very much for uh, such insightful uh, and detailed information. If you'd like to find out more about this, do follow the links, as I said, in the show notes. You'll find them in the description of this podcast on your phone or whatever device you're listening to us on. Our podcast today was produced by Camphill, a world leader in the development and production of air filters and clean air solutions. To stay up to date on how clean air can affect the quality process for you and the workplace, do click follow or subscribe in your podcast player so that you can get the next episode automatically. Until then, from myself to students, thank you very much for listening and take care.